What's up, church? How we doing? Oh, come on. Who's excited for church tonight? Anybody? You little social butterflies, too busy saying hi and giving high fives. You forgot you were in church. Well, welcome back. Welcome to Red Rocks. If I haven't met you, uh, my name's Doug, and I work here, and I would love to meet you. And I'll be right over there by the door on your way out. Please stop and say hello. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Guys, you're in the front row. This is amazing. The last service, nobody was up here. I'm told I look better from farther away. The farther away you get, so sorry. But, uh, man, religion rehab. Welcome to week two, like Ethan said. Uh, it's an edgy title, you guys. Religion rehab. It's an edgy title. And you might hear that, and maybe you thought, like, what? Is this, like, are we going to, like, do some church blasting? And bashing, because if we are, like, maybe that's why you came, like, I'm in, I'm in, and that's why you showed up, and I hate to let you down, but that's not the point of this series at all. Um, like Albert Einstein said, uh, you can't solve a problem with the same consciousness that created that problem. And so maybe you're in here and you've been hurt by the church or hurt by Christians, and I would not doubt that, and I'm so sorry that's true. Um, but we need to get above it so that we can heal from it. Heal for the sake of being whole and forgiving for the sake of, of living free, man. I believe that's why Jesus came, so that we could release religion, truly rehab from religion and say yes to a much better invitation. And that invitation won't be on the screen, but I'm just going to read it to you from Matthew 11, verse 28. And this is Jesus, and he says this, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? He says, well, come to me. Plain and simple, come to me, and you will recover your life. And so... April of 2017, we were visiting Austin for the very first time. First time any of us had ever been to Texas. And uh, we, we got the calling from the big man upstairs that week that we were supposed to move to this city and, and start this church. And I remember it like it was yesterday. We were at the Oasis eating some uh, nachos and quesadillas and drinking some virgin margaritas and just looking out at that sunset over Lake Travis and it wasn't like the audible voice of God but it was so clear like he downloaded this dream this vision this calling into all of our hearts move to this city and start a church um, make heaven more crowded by building a front porch to welcome home people who are far from God, to welcome home prodigals, welcome home prodigals. It was, it was so clear. It was, like, it was like God said, hey, Austin is a hub for so many of the prodigals of the Bible Belt, so many of my kids who get burned by religion and they all, they run from the church and thousands of them come to Austin, Texas looking for something real. And so go there and start a, a, a real church that you'd be proud to invite them to. Start a church where they can walk in the front door and uh, they, they know that they're going to be built up and not beat down 
where they can walk in the front door and know that they, they belong and they have a place even if they don't believe what we believe or behave the way we behave, where, where church can be enjoyed and not endured, right? Like go, go build a church where people can experience God and find family and discover their God-given purpose so they can go lead and make a difference. Go to Austin and build a church so that when people who are far from me come through your front door, you can tell them that just because they tried religion does not necessarily mean they tried Jesus. And that phrase brings us to week two of religion rehab. Last week, we talked about how there's an order to this whole Christianity thing. You miss the order, you miss Christianity. For instance, you, you, like the moment you put rules in front of relationship, you no longer have Christianity, you have religion, right? The, the moment you say, like, here, here's religion, it's behave, 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 and eventually you will belong, and hopefully somewhere along the way, you'll believe also. But Christianity, but Jesus says, no, 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 you, you, you already belong. You're already known. You're already chosen. He already sees you. He's already knit you together in your mother's womb and is familiar with every hair that's on your head. You already belong. Know that. That's the starting point. And then the belief will come and then the behavior will come after that. And he's saying, man, that's, that's Christianity and it's not religion. And if you miss it, you miss my heart. That was last week. If you missed that sermon, it's on YouTube. It's kind of foundational for the series, so go check it out. Next week, we are going to dive into two weeks. We're going to dive headfirst into two weeks of healing and forgiving. If you don't mind me saying, so we can get on with our lives like whole and free and complete forgiving and healing and releasing religion in whatever way, shape, or form that looks like for you so that we can embrace and experience Jesus and say yes to this invitation. And we have such high hopes. Like the, the next two weeks are being prayed for and they have been already for a while. And so today I feel like my job is just to get our hearts ready for what God wants to do in us and through us this month. And today I, I, I want to plain and simple talk about a lot of our beliefs that we have about Christianity and how those beliefs determine so much of what we experience and I want to show you this through a story in Mark chapter 10 if you have your Bibles go there if not once again it'll be on the screen and you might know this story as the the story of the rich young ruler Mark chapter 10 here we go as he went out into the street that's Jesus as Jesus went out into the street a man came running up and greeted him with great reverence and asked, Good teacher, what must I do? Give me a list. What must I do to get eternal life, to go to heaven? Jesus said, Why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Honor your father and mother. And this kid, this rich young ruler, says... Jesus, I've done all of those. Like, I've crushed that ever since I was a little kid. And so this guy right away, and you can leave that up there, press pause. He, okay, so he's apparently, like, he's rich, you guys. He's young, and apparently he's a ruler of, like, something. So, like, he's got, he's got power. People know who he is. And yet this guy still apparently hasn't found what he's looking for, right? Like, thank you, Bono. Thank you, you too. 
That song was written after this guy. And this guy comes to Jesus and he, he's like, man, I'll do whatever it takes because I've tried everything and I'm not there yet. And so G, like whatever this Jesus guy is selling, like I'm buying. And he goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, like what, what do I have to do? Here's what he's doing. He, he wants a little bit of Jesus in his life, a little bit of God in his life. Okay, and so maybe you're in here, maybe you need some religion rehab because you thought this whole thing was a religion that you could kind of dip one toe in or maybe put one foot in because, hey, like who doesn't want a little bit of God in your life? It's good for you. It's good for like morals and good for the family. And, and maybe you, you wanted Jesus as a supplement, but Jesus only comes as a savior. And so that's why it didn't work because you were thinking religion, not Christianity, just like this guy. Jesus looked him hard in the eye and, and, and loved him. I love that. There's one thing left, Jesus said. Go sell whatever you own and give it to the poor. Now, this isn't because Jesus was like, hey, I just ran into some homeless guys. I'm trying to raise money for my ministry. You got a lot of stuff. Go sell that. If you could, like... Like, Jesus does not need this guy's money. God does not need your money. In case maybe you need religion rehab on that because somebody told you that, that God needed your money. Like, anytime somebody tells me, like, man, church, like, I don't go to church, man. Like, the church, they just want my money. God just wants my money. And my response to that will always be, God wants your money? Like, how much of it do you have? that God wants your money, like your bank account information. Like you must be loaded. Like the God who owns the universe like needs you. Jesus doesn't need your money. He doesn't need this guy's money. This guy had a lot of it and, and money was this kid's God. That's why Jesus went after it. Then come follow me, he says. And the man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear. And he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and, and he wasn't about to let go. And so let's go back to the very first question he asked Jesus. Jesus, what must I do? Like, I, I, I crush things. I'm good at life, Jesus. Give me a 10-step plan and I promise you I will do it. What do I need to do to go to heaven? Once again, that, that, that's religion and so Jesus gives him a Jesus answer and he doesn't know what to do with it and he walks away sad and so maybe you're in here and you're not a Christian and you ask that same question like what, what, what do I need to do to go to heaven one day like there ha like it has to be it has to be complicated and the answer is actually more simple than your question what do you need to do to go to heaven one day you need to to put your faith in Jesus period and you might say, oh, come on, like, that's it? Yes, that's it. Put your faith in Jesus. That's it. And, like, maybe you're like, okay, I I've done that. I'm a Christian. I have been for a while. I'm going to heaven. Hey, how do I make sure, like, I'm not going to, like, lose that, right? Put your faith in Jesus. Jesus has done everything. His blood covers, is the only divine power that you need for the rest of eternity. Jesus has done everything, which means like the, the, the question, what do I need to do? Okay, God, what do I like need? What do you need from me today? That, that, that should not be a question that Christians ask. God actually doesn't need anything from you. 
you actually like don't need to do anything because Jesus has already done everything. Like the moment you get saved, that question should no longer be something you ask. From that point on, the only question we should ask as Christians is from this point on, what do I get to do? What do I get to do? Because God, you're that good and you did everything, okay? And still you have plans for me and still like I can come along on your mission of your kingdom come, your will be done, uh, like on this planet and you want to use me? Not because he needs you, but because he wants you. And that's the best news in the world. The God of everything wants you. Can you believe we get to do this? Our staff, our lead team here says that all the time. That one phrase, that one question. It's the title of this talk. Can you believe we get to do this? Even at 7 a.m. this morning, when people showed up exhausted to move the world's heaviest furniture ever made out of this room and bring in cases and put up pipe and drape and a, and a platform and all anybody could say was, can you believe, you guys, that we get to do this? And so, God, we love you so much. Jesus, we don't need a sermon. We don't need music. We need your Holy Spirit. It's the only thing that transforms us. And so we invite you into this space. Have your way with all of us. We love you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. You're done, man. Don't go far. Will you come back? You promise? I'll just call you. I never know what he goes and does. <laughs> Jeremy, see you in a little bit. Don't go far. You make me sound spiritual. It's true. Watch. He comes back and you're like, whoa, this just got good. <laughs> the day was October 6, 2013. Peyton Manning was leading the Denver Broncos in a battle of the offenses against Tony Romo and the Dallas Cowboys. And I know what state I'm in and I'm doing this. I am doing this, okay? 52 seconds left in the first half. The Broncos are currently up 21 to 17. They are on the one yard line, trying to move the ball one yard into the end zone. It's third and goal. Number 18 quarterback Peyton Manning takes his place behind his center, number 66, Manny Ramirez, and gets ready to take the snap. Every Dallas Cowboy thinks it's business as usual. Nobody is thinking, I wonder if Peyton Manning is going to run the football. Nobody is thinking that. You want to know why? Because Peyton Manning is six foot five, 230 pounds, and while he might be the most clever and shrewdest quarterback to ever play the game of football, and while he might have one cannon of an arm, he also has a condition called uncoordinated lankiness and has the same physical physique as Gumby. So Peyton Manning, like he, like he knows what God made him to do. Read the defense and throw. Like he, he's not, he doesn't run the ball. And so nobody is thinking, no Dallas Cowboy is thinking, I wonder if Peyton Manning's going to run the football. I'll take it a step further. Nobody in the state of Texas 
including every Dallas coach is wondering, is Peyton Manning going to run the football? I'll take it a step further. Nobody in Denver, including every Bronco, including every Broncos coach, including John Fox, the head coach, who just called a play to Peyton Manning saying, Peyton, you're going to hand the football off to your running back, number 27, no Sean Moreno, because he's got the physical physique to run the football, and that's what we're about to do. Nobody's thinking, I wonder if Peyton Manning's going to run the football. I'll take it a step further, guys. The cameraman is not thinking, oh, Peyton Manning is for sure running this football. I'll take it a step further. I bet you, like, Peyton Manning was thinking, I probably shouldn't run this football right now. I, I know who I am, and I know who I'm not. How shocked was the world then when Peyton Manning ran the football? I have the clip for you, and I want you to see it. Here you go. On third and goal, Mitch Unwine is the fullback, defensive lineman. Peyton still has the football. Can you believe it? Peyton Manning runs it in for the touchdown. Yeah, that wasn't in the playbook this <laughs> week on the defensive Can you believe it? Nobody could, man. Nobody could. And watch, watch my spiritual transition right here. Prepare to have your mind blown. The Dallas defense believed the wrong thing. And because they believed the wrong thing, they got burned. All right, so this is not like a, a hell metaphor. I don't want you leaving here needing more religion rehab than when you walk through these doors, okay? Watch. You may have been burned by Christianity because you believed the wrong thing about Christianity. You may have been burned by Christianity because you believed the wrong thing about it. You thought it was a religion. For instance, maybe somebody told you, some well-meaning Christian told you, hey, follow Jesus, and your life's going to get a lot more simple and easy, and you might even get rich. You're like, that sounds awesome. So you put your faith in Jesus, and then those things didn't happen, and now you're mad at God for not giving you something he never promised to give you in the first place. Or maybe somebody told you that, like, hey, if you do A, B, and C, then God will do, like, D, E, and F. It's like a, a transactional kind of thing. And so you're, you're, like, game on. And you clean up your life and make, make your life on the outside look the way the Christian world says it's supposed to look. And, and you're like, man, I'm going to church. I gave 20 bucks in the basket Last week, like, I've been getting up every morning. I, 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 like, am doing the Bible in a year, and I made it through Leviticus. Like, I made it through. I did not read Harry Potter, even though I really wanted to. I did this and this and this, and then God let something bad happen to you still. So he let that, that girl break your heart, or... He still hasn't brought Prince Charming into your life. Or he closed that door on that job you really wanted. Or he let a, a loved one get sick. Or your car break down. And your thought right there is, God, I behaved. And, and this is how you're going to repay me for behaving? And I'll quote Matt Chandler here. We were sold this, guys. 
Here's how you put God into your debt. And then you find out, oh, wait, you don't put the God of the universe into your debt. God, I did this, I did this, I did this. You owe me this, and now you're burned by Christianity, except that's not actually Christianity. You actually were burned by religion because you believed the wrong thing. And that's what's happened to this rich young ruler in our story. He gets burned because what he believes about Jesus is wrong. Like, this guy's wealthy, he's powerful, he's got, like, like everything that you should possibly need to be happy, and yet he still feels empty. He comes desperate to Jesus, and he says this. He says, Jesus, teacher, what do I have to do, man? Just give me something to do. Give me the A, B, and C. I promise you I'll do it. What do I have to do to go to heaven? That's a tough question, and I'll press pause right here. God can handle your tough questions. Maybe some well-meaning Christian told you, hey, keep those doubts out of here. You muster up some faith and be a good Christian. And so you bottled it up, but how many know that comes back around and rears its ugly face again, and now you're burned by God because you thought he couldn't handle your doubts? Like, man, your frustrations, your doubts about him, hey, like, what if, what if this was true? God loves your doubts, tough questions, and frustrations. And at this church, you will always have space to doubt and be unsure. God, like, okay, so last night, I usually uh, will start, like, kind of, like, praying and internalizing the message for Sunday around 8 o'clock. We put our little guy to bed watch one episode of The Office, and then I'm like, okay, it's go time. And it, like, I do it, I, I'll stay up late, and I really enjoy that time. I really need that time. Around 8.30 last night, uh, I felt it in the back of my neck, behind my eyes, and it was a migraine coming. And I know, man, once that happens, this is like a 15, 16, 17-hour thing that I can do nothing about. And so this happens to me a couple times a month. I have, like, messed up something in my neck, and it causes a lot of chronic head stuff. And, and so last night I knew. I'm like, really, God? Like, right now? And, it, like, it, it came, and it was, like, it was, I slept, like, 30 minutes last night because when that happens, like, you can't sleep. I can't look at my computer. I can't, I can't prep for today. All, all I can do is, is breathing exercises while I walk around my house. All right, and for, for a little bit, I, I, I started praying. I shut my eyes and I said, Father, Lord, thank you for giving me such an opportunity to glorify you, Father, in pain and suffering. And I felt like God said, Stop. Is that how you really feel? Yes. Is that how you really feel? No. How do you really feel? And then for two hours, man, I just unleashed my frustrations. Like everybody upstairs was asleep. So it was like, God, here's how I really 
like yelling at my ceiling, all of like, God, you could, like, I know you did not give me this migraine, but you could have stopped it and you didn't. And I'm like, I have to prep. It's not like I'm planning like a heist to do a bank robbery with my buddies tomorrow. Like I'm trying to prep a sermon to give at a church that I, I'm planting. Like help me out. That's how I feel. And I felt like God, after about an hour of that, looked down and said, that is what I'm talking about. I can, I can do something with that kind of authenticity and honesty. Like, I, I know that's in there. God's a big boy, the biggest boy that there is. Like, he can handle your stuff, man. Like, I, like he's like, you know how much more I love this than your well-rehearsed Christianese? Like, I know that's in there. Let it out. I want to know your heart because you know what this is. You're frustrated, but I call this proximity between you and me, and that's what I'm really after. And and I thought, man, okay, I know God did not give me that migraine, but it happened last night, and and maybe it's because somebody in here is currently in pain or currently, like, sick or frustrated with something, and some well-meaning Christian told you a long time ago that if you just have more faith... That'll go away. Or maybe you have that because you did something wrong. And they told you that because some Christian told them that. Somebody told me that about my head pain about eight years ago, and I am still rehabbing from that kind of religion. Saying like, hey, don't you put that on me. Because now it's on me to muster faith. What does that look like? Like, "Mm, faith, come on. Like, don't put that on me. We live in a fallen world, an already but not yet world. And Jesus has bridged the gap between heaven and earth, but it's overlapping and it won't be fully overlapped until he returns. And this is, this is a fallout of a sinful world. His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, in my body as it is in heaven, but not fully yet. That's like, that's what we partner with him in the here and now when you do not You're not sick. You're not in pain because you did something wrong or you don't have enough faith. I don't know who that's for, but I felt like I needed to tell you that. Next time you feel in pain and next time you're frustrated, bring it to God. He loves that. He just wants to, he wants to talk to you. That's it. Literally, he can handle your frustrations, your doubts, and your questions. This man, Jesus, what do I have to do to go to heaven one day? What do I have to do to go to heaven one day? And Jesus says, you know, you know the Ten Commandments. In fact, the whole law, the whole law, 613 rules that we get that simplify to the Ten Commandments. So when you're like reading Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and you're like, what the heck am I reading? It's the law. It's 613, the Mosaic law, all right? And and so it kind of sounds mean at first, like, God, you gave your people, like, this test that you knew they were going to fail, like, that. Is that mean? But really, here's what it is. The law essentially is one of the earliest signal flares of grace, God to his people saying, hey, guys, we're separated right now from, by, by sin. 
But he like, this is me letting you know I have a plan and this is like the beginning of it. So even like the sacrificial system, a signal flare of God's grace. Here's the law because I'm holy, you're not, I want to be with you. And so in order for us to be together, you need to be holy and you do that by fulfilling the law. The only problem is no human being could ever do that and God knew that. Which is why even the Ten Commandments foreshadow a need for something more than the Ten commandments because there will come a day when every human being fails at being perfect which means there will come a day when a god man fully god and fully man named jesus comes and does what we can never do which is completely fulfill the law on our behalf so that he could he could crush it and move it from religion to relationship i'll show you this matthew 5 this is the start of the sermon on the mount and this is what jesus Says He says, hey, don't think that I've come to, to abolish the law, you guys. The law or the prophets, a.k.a. the Old Testament. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? To fulfill them. We talked about it last week. Like, Jesus, he didn't come just to, like, give sin the wink and the gun. Like, guys, it's no big deal. This whole law thing, like, nobody can do it. Forget I said that. Free for all, right? Like, that's not what he did. He comes to fulfill the law, but then Jesus is about to call us to a higher level of living than religion, a higher level of living than the law. Look at this. He says, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, the law, hey, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Jesus goes, yeah, that's great. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. He also says stuff like this. Hey, you heard that it was said long ago, you shall not commit adultery. Yeah, great. I tell you, however, anybody who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's saying, hey, like, nowhere in the New Testament does Jesus say, don't murder. You shouldn't. He doesn't want you to. You'll go to jail. There are consequences. But here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hey, you've heard it said, don't murder. Here's, here's that, that, that is external conformity. That's religion. That's cleaning yourself up by your actions from the outside in. Here's what I say. Don't have anger in your heart. Like, yeah, I don't want you to murder, but I'd rather you just don't have anger in your heart in the first place. I'd rather you have a free heart. If you don't have anger in your heart, like, murder's not going to be an issue. Does that make sense? Like, not having anger is a higher level of living than just not murdering. He says, yeah, don't commit adultery. You know what I'd rather, though? I'd, I'd just rather your heart not be consumed by lust. Because if it's not consumed by lust, you're not going to go commit adultery. And not being consumed with lust, not lusting, is a higher calling, a higher level of living than just, hey, don't have an affair. Don't commit adultery. Nowhere in the New Testament does Jesus mention tithing. Nowhere. And where I'm going with this, we're not doing a building campaign. You can breathe out. Don't worry. Jesus actually never mentions tithing. Hey, God, you actually don't have to. What does he mention? A life of generosity. Jesus came to, to say like, hey, I'm calling you to a life of generosity. 
Because one of the laws I wired into the universe is the generous get bigger and the stingy get smaller. And if I can get it through you, then you better believe I can get more to you. And I want, I want, like, experience the freedom that comes with generosity. And how much of a higher calling is a life of generosity than, hey, come on, guys, tithe. Right? Here's what happens. You don't have to just not murder. Now you get to not be angry. You don't have to not have an affair. Now you get to not be consumed by lust. You don't have to, to, to tithe. Now you get to live a life of generosity, right? You, never, you don't have to ask the question, how far is too far physically with my girlfriend or boyfriend? That's religion. That's, hey, give me a line so I can tiptoe as close as I can without passing it. You don't have to ask that question. Now you get to honor God in your relationships and with your body. You don't have to do religion. Now you get to live free. And Jesus is saying, hey, like religion was external conformity. Great. Doesn't work. Jesus came to be the king of your heart to do surgery and start from the outside in and say, hey, I'd rather you just have a free heart and live from that. Sounds much better, in my opinion. Much better, in my opinion. Like, can you believe Christianity is this good of news? That not only, like, do I get heaven forever one day after I die, but even in the here and now, like, he wants life to the full for me. Zoe, abundant life. Like, now? Like, like, just so you know, everything that Jesus will outline in, in the Sermon on the Mount, what we just read, there's more of it. It's, it's the Ten Commandments 2.0. It's, it's your covenant now. And it's a higher calling of living than those rules. It'll challenge you more, but the goal is freedom. And how amazing is it that we have a God who actually cares enough about us to give us that? So even like when we get around to like the behavioral stuff and even rules that Jesus gives us, hey, like, okay, you no longer have to. And I know you're like, Pastor, you're giving people a license to sin. I don't have to do, you're, you'll do that if you want to do that. Like I'd, even, like I'd rather you like hit rock bottom and realize that Jesus is your everything than be like lukewarm for the rest of your life, kind of just doing the dance, Right? Anything behavior-oriented, I promise you, is the king of everything trying to maximize your peace and joy and happiness. You behaving is not so God can, can like look down and be like, yeah, I saw, I saw it. That was good. Like it's, like it's for him. It's not for him. It's for us, man. And how, like, how crazy is it that it's for us? Can you believe we get to do this? Can you believe that when God looks at me, he no longer sees Doug Weckenman and all of my imperfections and shortcomings. Can you believe that Jesus Christ is now my representative? And then, that like when God looks at me, he sees the perfection of Jesus. He sees undefeated. He sees white as snow, despite the fact that I know I'm very much still a work in progress. But Jesus is my mediator. Jesus is my representative. How crazy is it that he's a free and perfect representative and that he would love nothing more than to stand in the gap between you and God so that when God looks at you, he now sees Jesus and his ability to crush the law rather than you and your ability 
ability to, 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 to mess up. Like how crazy is Christianity? How, how cool is it that we get to do this? Like this is the good news. Can you believe this? Like Christianity says because Jesus, you guys. Religion says because I did this. Because I did this. This rich young ruler, that's what he, he wanted. Give me something I can do because I know me and man, I crush it. Christianity says no, because Jesus. So like even like, like when you ask people, do you know where you're going when you die? Do you know you're going to heaven? And a lot of people will say like, yeah, going to heaven. And, and you'll say, hey, do you mind if I ask? Like, that's great. How do you know? And people, a lot of people will start with, because I went to church, because I tithed, because I served at kids club instead of going to the service I wanted to go to, because I never read Harry Potter and I really wanted to, because I, I'm a Republican and from Texas, because I have religious parents, because I was really into nonprofits, right? Because I am a good person. And God will say, compared to who? Like, so your cousin was in and out of rehab and kind of the black sheep of the family. And your mom always said, don't be like your cousin. And like, you got your stuff, but you weren't a drug addict. And so God is going to let you into heaven? Because you've never been divorced and your sister has? Like, God doesn't grade us on a curve. He's not going to compare you to your cousin or your sister or to, to your friends who partied harder than you. He's not going to compare you to, to Hitler and say, well, you were no Mother Teresa, but at least you weren't that guy. Come on in. You can mow Teresa's lawn Make up for the fact that you watch Game of Thrones, you knucklehead. Get in here, right? Like, these are, these are the games we play, and for some reason, we think we're going to get to the throne room and still play them. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, I, I, I've got Jesus or I've got nothing. I will start that sentence with because Jesus, or I will start that sentence with because I. But here's the thing. Can you get to heaven by keeping all the commands? Yes. Can you keep all the commands? No. And that's the point. You have somebody who did that for you. He wants to be your representative, and he's free. And he is my only chance. He's my only chance. But once you receive him, it's like I put my faith in Jesus. Is it that simple? Yeah, it really is that simple. Like you can sleep soundly tonight and every night for the rest of your life because you know the, the blood of Jesus is all the divine power that you need. And God looks at you even now and says, holy Blameless and perfect. My perfect representative. Play the religious game without Jesus. And it will burn you, man. Because here's what you'll do. And, Ben, you can come up. Um, if you see Jesus as, like, if Jesus is your representative to God, like, he represents you to God then Jesus will also represent God, the Father, to you. Hebrews 1.3, he is all, like all the radiance of God's glory. He is the perfect representation. 
What does that mean? You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. He's here to make an invisible God visible. Jesus is our representation of God. But when you are your own representation, here's the game you'll also play. You'll also start to let other people in your life represent the Father for you. So your dad or an ex-husband or that leader that you trusted, you will, like, they will represent God for you and they will fail and crumble beneath that pressure. And you will need rehab from that religious mindset. I know that from experience because when I was 16 years old, I did that. When I was 16, when I was a junior in, in high school, I witnessed a church split and, and nastiness behind the scenes from like Christian adults and a, a sexual abuse scandal from a leader I trusted one night at youth group, I, I, I was verbally abused and kicked out. I, I, I was kicked out of church and now I'm a pastor because God's a comedian. Right? But here's what I thought. I, I, I ran from God for four years because I thought if that's who God is, if that's what God is like, then I don't want to know him. But that's not who God is, you guys. And that's not what God does, you guys. That is what flawed, broken, imperfect men and women just like me and just like you do when they too fall into the religion game. And so maybe you walked away from God because you let imperfect people represent him for you. And I just want to suggest, man, maybe your faith was never in God, but rather it was in people. And maybe you walked away from God unnecessarily. And maybe Jesus wants to represent God for you because he is good, you guys. I promise you he is good. And I, like, he's been teaching me this, okay? And even like I was 16 then, I'm 31 now. So even in all those years, this was just up to a few weeks ago when God said, hey, that anger and that bitterness is still in your heart. And here's the thing, pal, you have a right to be mad. You really do. You have the right to be bitter. You really do. I'll say this to you guys. You probably have a lot of rights to be mad and a lot of rights to be bitter. But I'll say to you what I felt like God has said to me. He said, you have those rights. You just can't exercise them and live whole and complete at the same time. So you have a decision to make. Either you can be right or you can live free. But you can't do both. Now I can give them justice, but I have to give you justice too. Or we can do grace upon grace for everybody. Because here's the thing, bud, you're going to want, you, like, trust me, you do not want justice for you. And now you're, you're starting a church that you're leading with your knucklehead friends and family. Like, I promise you, you're going to need grace as well. And you're going to be glad I gave it to them, man. We want grace for ourselves and justice for everybody else. And God's saying, man, like, okay. A grade on a curve for everybody, but that includes you. When I died, man, to give grace to all, I just have this picture of Jesus in my, in my heart and in my mind of him being thrown down onto the, onto the dirt. 
around noon with the sun above him on top of a piece of wood after for 20 hours he was arrested and falsely accused and, and spat at and, and made fun of and stripped naked and beaten and tortured. And then he gets thrown down and he looks over and he sees like a 21-year-old Roman soldier with a nine-inch nail in one hand and, an, and a hammer in the other hand, readying himself to, to nail Jesus to that piece of wood. And in that moment, Jesus is thinking, justice? No. In fact, he knows, man, I could, I could call legions of angels. I could call legions of justice down here right now. In that moment, Jesus was thinking, freedom for this kid. I can get justice, but then I can't get freedom for this kid. And the only way this kid's going to live whole and live complete and go to heaven forever is if I let him drive that nail straight through my wrist. And so, yeah, I have a right to be mad and I have a right to be bitter. I have a right to justice. In fact, I'm the only human being in all of history who actually has a real right to justice. But I'm laying it down for freedom of them, their freedom. I'm like, man, that's our picture, church. That's our calling. You have the right to be mad. I'll give you that. I'm not taking it from you. I'm just saying leaders go first, and this is what Jesus did, and we are called to emulate him. And what would it look like to lay down your stones and lay down your right for revenge and right for justice for the sake of freedom, even for yourself, man? Like, you can exercise those rights to be mad, but you can't do that and live free and live whole and complete at the same time. And that's why Jesus came was so you could release and rehab religion and say yes to a better invitation. And so, man, I'm, let's go. I feel like he's challenging us and, and daring us. You have something you need to release. And over the next month, we're gonna, we're gonna do that, man. We're releasing and we're healing. Because there's a higher calling and a higher level of living to step into, man. Do you want it badly enough? If, if, if bitterness sounds better, you don't want it badly enough, I promise you. And so this week, that image of Jesus in your heart and in your mind, Jesus, you, you could have had justice, but you chose grace for the sake of freedom. So what do I need to release? What do I need to, to drop? What rights do I have that I can lay down and follow your lead and be more like you in the process? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? It might be because you're carrying something with you that you have not yet been willing to leave at the altar and lay down. And you can't go to him and recover your life with those in your hand and in your heart. I'm just telling you, that's why you're frustrated because you've come this far, you've seen too much of God's goodness to go back. You've seen like, he is so good and you've seen evidence of it. That's how I feel, I've seen, I've seen too many miracles even in this room, I've seen him save too many people and change too many lives. This is too real, I can't go back, but I can't bring this with me moving forward and you're stuck and that's why you're frustrated and Jesus is saying, okay, in this series, what if it's not a coincidence that you're here? What if Jesus wants to tell you, what if your father in heaven wants to tell you that he's not like your dad in this series? Could you hear him tell you that? He's not like that old youth 
pastor or that ex-boyfriend or that person who, who said they were a Christian but they put a heavy weight on you or they wronged you. Like, we're all imperfect, guys. What if you're here not by coincidence to hear God, your Father, tell you you have no idea how much better I am. I'm good at being a dad if you'll let me and if you'll really have me. Amen? So God, we love you. 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 And I can't Oh, God, there's so much just release and rehab that needs to happen and healing and forgive the forgiveness that needs to happen. And, and God, that, I, I know enough now to know that that's supernatural stuff that's going to take your Holy Spirit present and your Holy Spirit doing the hard work. And so I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you would do just that. Reveal to us what needs to be revealed to us. Give us the courage to look inward and relive memories and journal about them and write it down and, and, and be honest with ourselves. Yeah, maybe I have been carrying that for a decade and maybe it is time to let go and maybe it does need, mean I need to feel it, but what if you're gonna feel it with me? God, do something supernatural in this group of people. Because the world is saying right now, speak church, we're listening. Austin is saying, speak church, we're listening right now. And what are they going to see? Are they going to see more religion? Or are they going to see Jesus? Are they going to see freedom? Are they going to see wholeness and completion and life? I pray in the name of Jesus, that's what they would see when they look at this church. A group of people, imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. United under the fact that we are alive and passionate and on fire, Jesus, to bring your your name and your hope and your love to this city. We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Red Rocks Austin, let's stand up and let's worship.